According to forensic geologist Scott Walter, the history that we- And by we, he means North Americans. Were all taught growing up is wrong. My name is Dr. Emma Extentith, and I'm a conspiracy theory theorist. According to Scott Walter, there's a hidden history in this country. Once again, North America, uh, although I guess as we'll see also the UK. Are you finished? There's a hidden history in this country that nobody knows. There are pyramids here. Yes, uh, there's, there's quite a lot in sort of Mesoamerica. Um, not, not exactly hidden. Chambers, tombs, inscriptions, they're all over this country. Apparently, Scott Walter is going to investigate these artifacts and sites, and he's going to get to the truth. Sometimes, apparently, history isn't what we've been told. Hmm, and now we're going to reinvestigate these artifacts and sites, and we're going to get to the truth. Sometimes history is related on reality TV isn't exactly what it seems. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Oh, nice little cork noise there. Um, I hope the mic's I, got that, I otherwise am... I'm going to sound quite silly for mentioning it. <laughs> yes, I could just edit the noise out, <laughs> but also edit or you in. Edit so extra that's noise quite, in, That's yeah. quite a nice cork noise every so often just to make it confusing mm. for listeners. Uh, I, appreciator of the cork noise <clears throat> and clearer of the throat, and Josh Addison sitting next to me, generator of the cork noise. Dr. M. R. X. Dentith, uh, and this is an episode that's been months in the making. It has. Uh, actually, I would even say years, truth be well, told. Well, I suppose, yeah, if you want to go right back. Yes, because this week, and only this week, well, I actually tell a lie, we're going to be doing a sequel to this, because I'm going to get you to watch other episodes. Mm. We're doing a deep dive, and say a deep dive, a shallow dive, because the show itself is quite shallow, into America Unearthed. Scott Walter's vehicle about the real history of the United States of America, although, as we kind of alluded to in the intro, not really. It does move around a bit, yeah. Yes, no, so, I mean, M has been watching this uh, ever since it began. Uh, it's currently Back now, in the heyday of 2012. Mm, uh, it's now into a fourth season, having been sort of canned a little bit after season three and then picked up by another network. Yeah, there was almost a five-year mm. period where the show wasn't on the air. Dark times. They were the darkest of mm. timelines. Uh, but anyway, so, so my homework lately um, has been to watch the episodes of season four of America Unearthed and then report back on my findings, which is what I shall be doing now. Was it hard homework? Uh, well, it was time that I could have spent doing something else. Let's Such put as? it like that. Uh, give me an example of something more productive you would have spent your time on. Uh, playing computer games. Such which as? I would have enjoyed more of. Give me an example of a computer game. Uh, Dauntless. I've been playing a bit of that. So I was so hoping you'd do something like on. Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Assassin's Creed Origin, no, which would be so appropriate. Conspiracy yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't been playing any conspiracy theory themed games at all, I'm afraid. You have failed me on so many different levels. Well, what's new? Shall we get into the main episode? We shall. According to Wikipedia, the TV series America Unearthed is hosted by Minnesota-based forensic geologist Scott Walter, who investigates mysteries and artifacts believed to reveal an alternative history of the North American continent before the United States. However, according to resident America Unearthed expert Dr. M. R. X. Dentist, some relation, the show is a deep dive into claims about how the Knights Templar settled North America. 
except it was the Vikings who got there first, possibly the Minoans, and the Freemasons are covering it up. Or they were, Scott Walter is now a Freemason, um, and seems to say nice things about them, which makes him part of the conspiracy. And there's something about diamonds being a map. Is, is, is my nose starting to bleed? I think I can actually feel my brain hemorrhaging. It's okay, the show is a mess. Such a mess that it went off the air for almost five years before being brought back in a form which well, wasn't quite what I expected. Which is where I come in, pre my brand lead. See, I'd never seen an episode of America Unearthed, and so the good doctor bade me watch it, expecting... What, what did you expect? I expected something slightly more than what we got. I was also expecting you to come in every week going, what on earth was he talking about? Well, so he actually mostly came in going, that was quite interesting. I mean, not actually interesting, but quite interesting. Yes, so possibly a disappointment all round? Yeah, until, 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 yeah. But we'll get to that. We will indeed, because, you know, there's a whole bunch of weird, mysterious claims going on, suggesting a conspiracy of the highest order when it comes to episode 10. Mm. Yes, no, we did, did not, didn't really get the, the, the mysterious and the weird for nine out of the ten episodes, but that last episode, well, shall we get into it? We shall. Oh, nice little cork noise there. Yes, so America Unearthed, um, a show about the secret history of America. Or at least it was. Well, presented by a fellow called Scott Walter, who's a forensic geologist. So, A, who is Scott Walter, and B, what is a forensic geologist? Let me start with what forensic geology is. Forensic geology is an actual thing. Uh, for a while, I actually thought it wasn't. I thought this was one of those accolades you put behind your name to go, I'm not really an archaeologist, I'm a forensic geologist. But no, it turns out forensic geology is a real thing. It is according to Wikipedia. The study of evidence relating to minerals, oils, petroleum, and other materials found in the earth used to answer questions raised by the legal system. Uh, forensic geology was important when it came to the aftermath of 9-11, looking through the concrete rubble of the fallen Twin Towers, Building 7, etc, etc, which Scott Walter comes into because he was one of the experts brought in to analyse the concrete post the destruction of the Twin Towers mm. and testified about it in court. So that's why you can be a forensic geologist, you can testify in court about geology and talking about the dating, the history, and how you talk about the composition, what may have gone wrong with the composition leading to a collapse and the like. So it is a real thing, despite the fact that on first glance it does sound ever so slightly suspicious. And then there's Scott Walter. Mm. So Scott Walter has a bachelor's degree uh, in geology from the University of Minnesota Duluth. He also claims to have, depending on who you talk to, a master's degree, or at least an honorary master's degree in geology. Uh, it was put down on his CV at one point as being an honorary degree. When questioned, well, when the University of Minnesota Duluth was questioned about this, they could find no record of ever granting him said honorary degree, at which point Walter clarified that it was in fact a sympathy degree given to him by some of his former professors after he gave a talk where they joked or discussed giving him an honorary degree and presented him with a cup of coffee with whipped cream, claiming that was his new diploma. Mm. It, um, it 
It's a very suspicious story. Yeah. Anyway, so that's who I he mean, is. as I have a PhD, I didn't even get hot chocolate. Oh, well, there we go. It's and I believe in miracles since mm. you came along, you sexy thing. You sexy thing. Um, okay, so that's that's who it is. That's that's the, the... Well, he's also the author of several books. Oh, books, yes. Ah, let me tell What's, you. About... T- tell me about well, his so books. He's written several books on Argate, which is a a rock, I do it believe, sure is. and how they're found in the Lake Superior region. So he appears to be a bit of an expert when it comes to both concrete and Lake Superior. Okay. I have to say, in the episodes, he always seems his most confident when he's talking about rocks and, st- and stone structures and so on. So that does definitely seem it's to be true. It's true. He does appear to be in his, e- in his element when it comes to rocks. Mm. He's also the author of books such as The Kensington Runestone, Compelling New Evidence, The Hooked X, Key to Secret History of America, and From Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers, The Mysteries of the Hooked X. Akhenaten being an ancient Egyptian pharaoh... Who may or may not have been the first monotheist, depending Mm. on A, how you define monotheism, and B, exactly how you define what religious belief looked like in Egypt at at that particular point in time. I remember I I studied him at university. He was the fun one. He was the one who completely changed sort of the the whole of of ancient Egyptian society. And then after he died, everyone changed it all back and was like, geez, what was with that guy? And then erased him from history by basically removing his name from all the stelae and abandoning the capital Mm. that he moved the capital to, which made it quite convenient. He moved it to this place called Tell Almana. Uh, it turned out that once he died, he just abandoned that particular complex and it fell into obscurity and disappeared from history. Anyway, enough enough Akhenaten, although he is an interest, he is a fun to- He was my favourite bit of ancient Egyptian, I think, actually. He is one of the only actually interesting mm. pharaohs, which not to besmirch Egyptology, but the problem with Egyptology, as opposed to, say, doing Roman history or ancient Greek history, is that we don't really have much in the way of accounts of the personal lives of the movers and shakers of that society. We have the histories and the steles, while the Greek and the Romans left behind actual papyrus or parchment accounts of their individual lives. So it's much more easier, it's easier to be excited about Julius Caesar because we have his letters. Mm. Whilst Akhenaten, you've kind of got the art, some inscriptions, and why did they remove him from history exactly? Yes. At any rate, back to America Unearthed. So how did, did you just stumble upon the show? Did, were you directed towards it as part of your... Conspiracy theory theorizing. As far as I remember, it all stark it start, starked. Starked. Mm, it started with the Starks in Game of Thrones. No, it started in a drunken state in our friend Nick's living room, where we were talking about pseudo history and other related things. And either I had seen the name of the show online or Nick had seen the name of the show online. And so we looked into is this going to be something worth watching? And it turned out it was, and what a delight it was, because from the very first episode of season one, Scott Walter is alleging that there is a large-scale academic conspiracy to hide the true history of the United States. And seasons one through three basically pushed that line dramatically, that the American government, academics, and the Freemasons are engaging in a cover-up of America's true history, including claims about Manifest Destiny and claims about the real Europeans who got to North America first. 
Now, was that your experience of season four? I cannot honestly say that it was, no. Um, there, there's very little in the way of actual conspiracy theorizing in the show that I saw. There was a lot of this is stuff people don't know about, either because it's you know sort of too obscure, too hidden, um, or, or you know, it's, it's just something people have forgotten about. Uh, but there was never really much talk of the fact that it's being actively hidden from the world at large. Yes, it was very disappointing. The Smithsonian gets virtually no room in the episode at all. Because often he would claim the ah, can't say Smith Smithsonian? Yeah. Having a day of speech disfluency, which doesn't really help. In the previous series, the Smithsonian is often fingered as being they're the ones who have the real evidence of giants or Phoenician artifacts, and they're keeping them from the public. Virtue doesn't come up at all. No. In fact, actually, he's quite glowing towards any academic institution that will have him in this particular season. There's the one that wouldn't let him take something off and get it tested. Yes, uh, that was the 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 Francis Drake episode. Right, yes, yes. But we'll get into that in just a minute. In fact, fact, let's get into it right now. Let's have a run through. So there are ten episodes in season four, and as we have alluded to, the first nine, or at least ten, ten is where it gets to the good stuff. So maybe just a quick whistle stop tour of the, um, the, the, the preceding nine episodes. Episode one is called Vikings in the Desert. And he looks at um, these Viking artifacts that are found in the desert in the middle of America and says, is this proof that, obviously these days it's, it's well accepted that Vikings did make it to the east coast of America, founded a small settlement, but didn't last long there and buggered off back to Viking land. Um, but this is like it is right in the middle. So like, is this evidence that Vikings made it all the way into the center of America, possibly by sailing uh, across the Atlantic Ocean, around Canada, all the way around, like through the Arctic Circle, right around the top of North America, right back down the other side, and then up a whole bunch of rivers to end up um, in the middle of America. Uh, the conclusion, basically, they take these artifacts off, they have, they get them and get them get them looked at by experts and so on. Travels off overseas, I think, to get somebody to look at them. Um, and the conclusion is, well, yes, they do seem to be authentic Viking artifacts, but who the hell knows how they got there? Could 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 have got there? You know, could, someone could have just brought them over and and happened to have lost them there. It doesn't actually prove that Vikings took a ship. Um, that was the episode that, and I do remember this coming up on Twitter when you were occasionally posting your little updates as you watch things. The there's one section supposedly they were found in the ruins of an old Viking longboat in the middle of the desert, and they go through um, property records and so on and figure out where it was originally reported to have been, work out where that land is now, work out who owns that land now, go to the owner of the land and say, hey. Um, we think there could be something buried under here. Do you mind if we do a bit of digging? And the guy says, okay. They go in with a, I can't remember what it was. A, was it a metal detector or a yeah, seismic yeah. thingamajigger? They find something down there and go, oh, look, there could be some important historical artifacts buried down there. Bring in the backhoe. And <laughs> yeah, they just start... A giant, giant backhoe, which <clears throat> digs into the ground with absolutely no finish. Yes, and fortunately it turned out there was not um, a, a, an ancient Viking ship under there. It was des- In fact, it turns out that probably what set off the detector was both a bar of iron in the ground and overhead power lines. Mm. Anyway, so that, that's episode one. Episode two was all about alien artifacts. Yeah, and this is what I call the You're, uh, you're Not a Credulous Git Mr. Pepperdine episode. Mm. That's a reference to Fry and Laurie there. And that this is the episode that shows that Scott Walter 
isn't a credulous fool. Well, yes, he uh, he starts off with a guy brings him some tablets that are, are inscribed with alienish looking things, and they appear to be very, very old. And so he has a look at around a bunch of related things. He goes to a cave in Peru where there are, there are all these carvings that appear to show extraterrestrials and spacemen and chariots of the gods type stuff. Um, and so he looks at them and straight away says, "Ah, oh, sorry, guys, these are fake. Um, the the inscription, the, the 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 etchings, the lines are much too recent. These aren't ancient carvings. Uh, they've just been made more recently." So it is interesting though that he doesn't claim that the people who took him to the cave engaged in the faking. No, no. Which I don't know about you, but that all kind of smelt like a setup in both directions. Can we find? Some people who are producing fake artifacts for Scott to go and look at and say they're fake, but also ensure that they appear on camera by not accusing them of doing the faking, even though they're the most likely suspect. Yes. On the other hand, possibly you're in the middle of in the middle of the jungle in Peru surrounded by locals and maybe a small camera crew of your own, maybe you don't want to piss these people off by accusing them of being fraudsters to their face. That's true. In a location where you could probably disappear permanently. Um, but, and so the, the conclusion, of the, the artifacts that kicked it off, it's all just a little bit airy-fairy. And uh, the, he, he reckons he got the artifacts tested and they appear to be impossibly old. They, they appear well, to the, be thousands the, too, too the old. The glue apparently is impossibly old. Mm. There's no way you could fake having organic matter that old in glue, ipso facto. The glue that's binding things to the artifact indicates they are incredibly ancient. And as several archaeologists online said after that episode, it's quite easy to get old organic matter to then put into glue so that glue appears to be old when you test it. You just take a really, really deep hole in an area where you know human habitation has been for a long time. You dig up organic matter from beneath the ground. You make your glue paste from that organic matter. And when it's dated, the glue will look old. Mm. It's not impossible. No. But you know, I mean, he, he stops short of saying, well, here's proof of alien life right here. Um, but he does, it sort of leaves it on a bit of a question mark, really. These things look to be impossibly old. It is very much chariots of the gods, mm. as you said. Now, episode three, The Cave of Secrets. Now, I found this episode genuinely interesting, um, but it's not 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 for its earth-shattering um, history. It doesn't actually say anything new about history, no, does it? No, it doesn't at all. Uh, basically, this fella in, in Pennsylvania says, hey, I've got this cave on my property, which I, I stumbled upon when I was a lad, um, and it has mysterious carvings and markings and stuff inside it. Do you want to come check it out? So he has a look at this cave. Which is um, now flooded. Unfortunately, is now flooded, yep, but he sends, sends in a little drone submersible thing and then sends in some actual di- cave divers um, and has a bunch of fun poking around there and finds a bunch of carvings and some things down there. Um, and it's in one bit that did appear quite staged. They sort of, they, they, they hit a dead end. They can't investigate anymore into the cave because of the flooding. And then the guy who brought, um, invited him says, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention the other day, I also found this badge around the same time in that area when I first discovered the thing. And it's the badge of some sort of quasi-Masonic order. And they look through the records and find out that the leader of that order was the former owner of the house. So it appears that that cave had been used in the, in the rituals of this this sort of Mason-ish um, secret society that, that was in the area at the time. Which then somehow goes into the 
underground railway. Well, yes, again, so they've taken that story as far as they can, and then they're like, but he keeps coming back to these initials that appear to have been carved in the walls, and they can't find anyone um, involved in that secret society that had those initials, so they're all maybe, who else, what could it have been, and where they are in Pennsylvania is where the Underground Railroad uh, went through it makes it sound like it's an actual railroad, but um, and and so basically they they do a bunch of investigating. So it's, it's it's entirely possible that this cave could have been used to shelter runaway slaves who were being taken to free states as as part of the Underground Railroad. And he goes and finds the descendant of a freed slave who who wrote a uh, sort of chronicle of people who went through the Underground Railroad. Who who now his descendant is now a historian, and she they sort of get to see his original diaries. It's quite an emotional moment for her, and it's and in all in all, it was an interesting bit of American history, but not a particularly secret or controversial or conspiratorial history. No, which then becomes quite interesting when we go to episode four, mm. which is unmasking Jack the Ripper, the notorious serial killer who operated in London, which is, I believe, located in a country called the United Kingdom of not the United States of America. Yes. so Not so much America unearthed as in... We have to do a Jack the Ripper episode now. I mean, to be fair, he's investigating the pet theory of a bunch of American guys, so it kind of starts in America. But yes, it's entirely about it's stuff. It's not about the America. hidden history of America. It's not about the hidden history of America at all. So I mean, the, the theory they're going in, uh, obviously, the, the, is, is there anyone in that time period who hasn't been accused of being Jack the Ripper by now? One of my ancestors hasn't been accused, but oh, only, that's a shame. only one. Must All be, the others must have be an oversight. Yeah. Uh, so in this particular case, the, their theory is that Jack the Ripper was actually famous author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of Sherlock Holmes. And what else did he write? Was Sherlock Holmes his only thing? Uh, so he also wrote the Professor Challenger stories, which uh, so The Lost World is a Professor Challenger story. He was also fairly famous at the time for writing historical romances, which in that sense is about knights doing daring deeds, but they basically haven't survived because they weren't very well written. They were kind of mm. overwritten. Whilst it turned out his more pulpy fiction he wrote for The Strand, like the Sherlock Holmes stories and the Professor Challenger stories, were written in a kind of pulpy, fast-paced manner. And those stories turn out to have stood the test of history. Yeah. Well, the stuff he actually thought was important turns out not to have done. At least yes. when it comes to fiction. There's also the whole Cottingling fairies thing, oh, that, which yes. he was involved in, but yeah. that's another that's matter another entirely. That's another story entirely. Yes, so I mean, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle uh, was a Freemason, um, and so they get to talk about Masons a lot and Masonic rituals and all that sort of stuff, and he was a trained doctor as well. He was, yes. And so, and so then Scott Walter's chopping up a... A, Cadal a, a fake, a a fake, fake cadaver, cadaver, as opposed to an actual cadaver. Yeah. Okay, so here I am, emulating the Ripper murders by actually chopping up a human mm. being to see how hard it would be. So that's, that's the yeah, budget. So he, do, he does on. get to, to disembowel a, a, a practice cadaver. Unfortunately, it's a male one. So when he's he's like, because you know, there's some of the victims like had their ovaries removed and what have you. And he's like, well, this is more or less where ovaries about are. So if this were a woman, this would be anyway. Um, and in the end, as is becoming something of a theme, it's, it ends up fairly inconclusive. They they don't prove that Arthur Conan Doyle was the Jack the River, but I guess they don't prove that he wasn't. No, dun, but it dun, does dun. have the best line in the entire series, and we're going to play you a clip of that right now. If he was the Ripper, in his mind he was done, so he checked out of masonry and checked into murder. 
No, it, it, it doesn't actually get better than that, does it? No, it really doesn't. I mean, that's basically the pinnacle the show is ever going to hit. Anyway, so we move on. Uh, episode 5, Phoenicians in America, which is kind of like the Vikings in America one. Again, they found some artifacts uh, that appear to be Phoenician artifacts in the middle of America. Does this mean that the Phoenicians managed to get all the way across to America? So he looks into this theory, and a large part of it seems to be based on an ancient map of from the time period that has these little islands off the coast of Africa and some people for some reason think that those aren't actually islands off the coast of Africa they're the islands Canary Islands, yeah, I believe. I, th I think yeah. people think they're Canaries, but then they're like, some people suggest maybe they're actually these islands on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. In the and Caribbean. It's just because the map, the cartographer has no sense of scale that that looks like they're right next to Africa. And Ignoring the fact there are some islands off the coast of Africa that these islands would actually match quite mm. closely. So, yeah, there's, there's a look into that. I understand. He meant the Minoans come up. I understand. Yeah, so back in, in season one, he does an episode about how he thinks that the bronze that the Minoans based their civilization upon comes from North America. Right. Because there's this rather errant claim that the amount of bronze attributed to the Minoans can't be sourced from the Mediterranean. It turns out that that's probably not correct. It's probably also more likely that they sourced their bronze from the Mediterranean than found North America. Yeah. And then engaged in a very elaborate sea trade of bringing bronze all the way back to Crete. Mm. Um, now, I have to admit, I can't even remember how this episode finished. That's how little an, an impact it had on me. Was this the one where it turned out the, the, the artifacts weren't genuine? Yes, yes that's the that one, was, where, I remembered there was one where the grandmother may have been mistaken about the Phoenician nature of the lettering on the artifacts in question because linguists went, yeah, that's not Phoenician. No. But Scott still finds evidence that maybe the Phoenicians were in America, just not with that evidence. Mm. Now, episode six, the spy who saved America. Once again, not actually hid, hidden history, just more historical sort of, question um, yeah. of it's not, there are no lies, there's no misinformation. It's a case of we don't Here's know who a certain member of the Culpa spy ring was. Mm. And this episode is an investigation to three candidates who may have been the mysterious Culpa Spry Ring. Probably was fairly spry. Spy Ring member operating outside of New York. But he does it with Valerie Plame, which is a name you probably remember. She was in what she was on, she got booted out, didn't she? She had to resign. What was the deal with her again? Because they didn't go into her, they, they 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 sort of say hey you you know you've heard her name but they didn't quite go into the uh... so she from memory is involved in the whole enhanced interrogation thing and the exposure of what was happening under George W Bush's regime in the U S mm. and kind of got ostracized by the intelligence community from memory I'm actually going from from memory on on this. So basically was the full person for yeah. that particular story. And yes, they don't mention that at all. No. They just mention that she's an expert when it comes to spies mm. because she's a former spy. Yep. 
And so basically, there is this one uh, spy who goes by the identity of 355, uh, who was a woman um, and one of George Washington's sort of trusted spies during the Revolutionary War. And yeah, I mean, they, they have, there are three women who they think sort of fit the bill, and they narrow it down to one, largely based around the fact that the other two weren't anywhere near New York when the spy was supposed to be in New York, so I'm not sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's interest, an interesting bit of history. It's not controversial or conspiratorial. Oh, it is, I mean, the story itself is conspiratorial. It's all about spies and the Revolutionary War and passing information and so on. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's here's a person we don't quite know what the, who their identity was, and they come up with a good uh, a good candidate for her identity. Now, Actually, I'm completely wrong about the enhanced yeah. interrogation which thing. One is, which it's one the, it's the Scooter Libby. Ah. Uh, what's called Plaingate. Hmm. Uh, so yes, it was a it was a case of information being leaked uh, and things like that, and basically she was the source. There you go. Anyway, on to episode seven, Bigfoot of the Bayou. So we go to some actual Bigfoot hunting. Um, there's a, a, a Sasquatch type. Is it? Is it? Do you pronounce a cryptid? I've heard people say it in different like. I say cryptid because I call it cryptozoology, mm. so crypto-cryptid. That's what I, yeah, I'm sure I've said people pronounce it weirdly, but anyway, I'm going to say cryptid as well. Uh, Sasquatch-type cryptid um, in, in the bayous of Louisiana, um, and he, he basically goes on a Bigfoot hunt. He, he gets out his night vision cameras and stakes things out, and they sort of, they, um, this is done for network television, so it has um, has commercial breaks which always, you know, they always manage to have something dramatic happen beforehand. So he's like in the bush and then it's like, what was that? Cut to commercial, come back. Suggesting heavily he's about to be attacked mm. by Sasquatch. And cuts back to, oh, I guess it was nothing. Um, that, no, it wasn't, it wasn't nothing. It was gas. Well, yes. The, in the end, it's one of the things that um, marks the Sasquatch type creature everybody talks about is that supposedly it has a, a, a terrible smell and this, this bad um, smell is sort of a sign that the creature is nearby. Um, and so again, in the in the um, him not being entirely credulous thing, he does actually debunk part of this thing by saying, actually, that thing you can smell—that's swamp gas being released by the the, the decomposing vegetation. But as becomes so standard throughout the season, he goes back to talk to the person who sent him on his quest in the first place, and says, "Well, I mean, it might be swamp gas, but I do think that maybe mm. your ancestors saw something or experienced something after all that can't be explained." So he does try to have it both ways. He does a little bit of gentle debunking and then goes, but it still might be true. Mm. Anyway, moving along, let's, let's rattle through the last few. Episode 8, Drake's Lost Treasure. Um, they go looking for, for Sir Francis Drake's Lost Treasure. Yeah, Spoiler, so they don't find it. When, when Drake's fleet returned to the UK, there was a kind of a sum of money missing. It's suspected that maybe it was buried somewhere along the coast of North America. They go looking for it, looking at what appears to be new map evidence. They don't become rich. Mm. Uh, yes, and so that's the one where there's, um, he wants, he wants, he says to university, hey, can I please take this old thing and get it properly tested? And the university's like, no. 
Yeah. And so that so the end. Which he then goes, they they don't want me to test to see whether this is real because the suspicion is the artifact in question is a fake. Mm. Well, so it's probably more likely that they're going. We don't know who you, you don't are. Just give stuff out to randoms. Uh, we'll do it professionally or not at all. Not just give it to a reality TV host who will probably shine lasers at it. Mm. Oh, nice little cork noise there. Uh, so episode nine, Chicago's mystery bomber is yet another. Um, interesting historical footnote episode basically um they try to identify the person behind the chicago haymarket attack of 1886 which is sort of the first um the first sort of sort of bombing attack in american history some dude chucked a bomb into a gatherer it was like a labor um not riot but uh, it was it's a labor movement thing um threw, threw an explosion into the middle of the crowd killed a bunch of people um and no it's never been um uh, proven exactly who the bomber was. Yeah, so there's a suspicion that it might have been a unionist or it might have been a member of the police or the security forces attached to the state at the time who was trying to antagonise the issue. Interestingly enough, he goes and talks to the the Pinkertons who were operating on the side of the local government at the time and they say, no, it definitely wasn't us. And Scott Walter goes, well, if they say no, it can't have been them. Mm. Despite the fact that Pinkertons have a uh, fairly salubrious history of being agitators and then denying it after the fact in the history books going, no, actually, you are kind of were on the side of the bad guys there. Mm. So he gets to have a bit of fun. He, he goes old school and, and makes one of these old-fashioned hangers. He goes to, to a... I don't know what he is, a metallurgist or an, an iron monger of some sort who, who forges one of these. It's like sort of a, a little um, sphere of lead with the, the you pack explosives inside. It's kind inside of like a petard. It is a little bit, yes. With a fuse and then you then you throw it and then many people are hoist upon it. Indeed. Uh, or hoist by it. Um, yeah, Scott Walter had, was almost hoist by his own petard, he you're was. saying. Well, he pretty well. He could have been. He could have been if, if he'd the, been standing yeah, a bit closer. Or if the fuse had been wrong. Mm. Um, and so again, much as with the, the Valerie Plame episode, they find a guy who who, who fits the bill, uh, could well be the dude. Um, interesting historical footnote, not particularly uh, conspiratorial or mysterious. No. But then we get to episode 10, Exodus of the Templars. Now, now this, this was what I was waiting for. Yeah, this, this, is, this is the one Josh, you wanted me to tell see. tell me what happened in episode 10. Right, well, it starts, some dude's found an inscription on a rock in Newfoundland and gets Scott Walter to investigate. And he, he said, looks at this and says, this could be more evidence for his pet theory that the Knights Templar, after getting booted out of England, sailed not, to the new land. England, Europe. Out of Europe, out of everywhere, out of out of the old world. Uh, well, they ended up in Scotland, didn't they? Or is that what he claimed? Right. Anyway, got yeah. booted out of the old world, came to the new world with all their riches and treasures and mysterious artifacts. He claims they possibly had the uh, Holy Grail. They possibly had the Ark of the Covenant. They possibly had documentary proof of secrets that the church doesn't want you to know, including the existence of Jesus's children. Well, the old bloodline, eh? Mm. Um, and so, so, so I understand this has been the 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 the, the overriding the, the 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 common thread throughout the previous three seasons. Now, before we go into exactly what this is meant to mean, did this episode make any sense to you at all? Um, I could understand his the claims he was making. Couldn't really 
get a handle on on how the things he was looking at prove, provided evidence for those claims. In particular, so he, he has this inscription. Uh, one, it has a was it an actual hooked X? So there, there was another symbol on it that he thought that was a a Templari sort of a symbol. He does his whole geologist thing. At first, he looks at it and says, "Oh, actually, yeah, I think the you know I think this might not be be legit because the um, that doesn't look nearly weathered enough to be old enough." But then he goes and inspects it with his microscope, which appeared to be a a, a, a special lens stuck on the end of a, a cell phone camera, but um, and says, "Oh, and then the surprise to see the rock is actually a lot uh, the the kind of rock is a lot harder than he thought it was, which means you wouldn't expect to see nearly as much weathering. So it could be legit." And blah blah. blah. Anyway, then he goes to Scotland, um, and there's a castle in Scotland where apparently the Templars were, and there's a carving on a the castle, wall, a, a chapel, a chapel, an old stone building. That's a castle in my books, um, and there's a, there, there's inscriptions on the wall, including this one that has sort of four diamond shapes on top of each other with another little symbol below, and then a, a sort of a, a five pointy sort of pentagrammy star. Um, which he claims is a treasure map, and that's where I was like, "Hang on, what?" He claims that these diamond shapes are coordinates. Each each one is a is a coordinate. I think actually it was, they're latitudes. Yeah, I think it was because he did talk about earlier the Knights Templar supposedly had a thing where they'd stake out a square. Uh, and and sort of run twine around it, and then at a certain time of day, they'd see that the, the square would cast a diamond-shaped shadow. Uh, was that was that what the diamond was that where the diamonds came into it? That was the only other time I remember him talking about the whole that. diamond thing. I had I, to watch it several times, and I still yeah. didn't quite grasp exactly what his argument was meant to be. But so, they're meant to be latitudes, indicating stops that the Templar fleet made on their way to new to Newfoundland in mm. North America. They, they just look like a bunch of diamond shapes. And they're sort of carved into a wall, so if it was, like, you'd need to get really precise with your angles, surely, if you were doing some... Anyway, that's his thing. Then he goes and talks to this tower in Newport, and I understand, back in America, I understand this has come up a bunch of times. Yep, he's absolutely well. obsessed with what appears to be the remains of a grain mill, which he claims to be Templar architecture of some kind. Yes, I mean he. he so makes... that it doesn't in any way resemble Templar architecture in the old world. He he makes a great sort of mention of the fact that there's like an archway and the cornerstone is not in the center where a cornerstone would normally be. It's off to the side, and so therefore that's supposedly highly significant. And there's a window in it that the sun shines through at a right. Oh, possibly Venus. I can't remember. Venus comes up a few times as well. So he 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 certainly appears to believe that the treasure of the Templars is buried underneath this tower, but, but because they won't let him dig. Well, and and and, and as he himself says, you'd have to it would be quite an undertaking to not destroy the tower at the same time as you're digging underneath it. So again, there's a bit of a um, there's a bit of a sigh. One day, maybe we'll get into this. He gets his pet archaeologist too, doesn't he? This dude who used to be a, a baseball player and is now an archaeologist. So he was he was a little bit famous beforehand or something. Yeah, so, so he's appeared he's, in he's previous seasons as well. And yeah, I mean, th there was a lot of um, I, there's a lot of stuff where I was just like, hang on, what you I, like? I. Uh, his thesis seemed clear enough. The Templars came here. They brought their stuff. There are symbols that that that, that can you, you can trace their route. But any time he tried to show actual proof of this, my brains did start dribbling out my ears a little bit.
I particularly liked the bit though, he looks at one inscription, I can't remember if it's a Newfoundland one or a different one, and he's like, now, you've got this picture, uh, talking to the guy he's with, and they've sort of got a scan of it on the computer, now, can you measure the width of the top line, and the guy measures it to be exactly 46.6 centimetres, and he writes this down in his notepad, and now, can you, can you measure the length of the bottom line of text, and he measures it out, and it's exactly 23.3 centimetres, he writes down 23.3, and he's like, 46.6, 23.3, why that's a ratio of exactly 2 to 1, and I did notice though that when he draws the line identifying it, it's like from the top left of one to just a little bit below the top right of the other side, just to make sure the line extends to exactly 46.6 and exactly 23.3, and then apparently that was ridiculously um, significant because the, the, the Templars and the Masons and everybody else uh, was all about their two to one ratio in their architecture, although that was like that have rooms where the width to height ratio was two to one, not inscriptions where one line happened to be twice as long as the other. Also, you it have just, to mention yeah. the poor person who manages to get the ratios on the inscriptions completely wrong. No, we have to throw this entire Carve stone entire out now. Thing on, Start yeah. again. We have to pull the entire stone out of the wall. Bloody hell. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I admit I, I did kind of get lost so you've watched it yourself as well. Does it make more sense having seen the previous ones? Yes, because it is very much a sequel to previous Templar episodes you've seen on America Unearthed. So traditionally, Scott Walter spends two episodes per season looking at his pet theory about the Templars coming to North America after their expulsion from Europe. And it's quite clear that this was meant to be a two-part episode that was cut into one commercial it hour. It does jump around a lot. Yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of stuff missing there, so they had to compress things into one hour, because obviously the channel went, we're not giving you two hours on Templars, we know you want to do an episode, but you're doing an episode, not a two-parter, not a movie-length special, just a normal episode. And so he is revisiting a lot of material he's looked at in the past. Now, Walter's thesis about the Templars coming to America is an incredibly convoluted story. It involves this thing called the Kensington Runestone, which is supposedly a Viking inscription, which appears to be narrating a travelogue, which, Scott, which Walter claims is actually a land claim, which has a unique feature called the Hook X, which is something only the Templars apparently use, which in the case of the Vikings, the Templars are somehow related, and that apparently when the, uh, I'd say the Viking Order, the Knights Templar, was shut down by the church and the French aristocracy, Apparently, they all just had to disappear elsewhere, as opposed to what actually happened, which is that most of the members of the Knights Templar outside of the leadership, who were tried, ended up just going to different orders all around Europe. And in fact, actually, some branches of the Knights Templar weren't suppressed. They actually continued to exist for years afterwards. So his actual understanding of what happened to the Knights Templar is so ahistorical, it's kind of unbelievable. But no, he's got this really big thing that the Templars made it to North America and established colonies, land claims, and bloodlines there to hide the real treasure of the Knights Templar 
the children of Jesus Christ. Mm. Which they only get mentioned in passing in that episode. Yes, and that in part because I think they've snuck an episode in which has the most palatable version of his Knights Templar story, knowing that long-term fans who have watched seasons one, two, and three will have seen the previous storylines and know exactly what he's Mm. hinting towards. Well, there you go. So uh, gen- general impressions. Um, uh, I was surprised at the production values. It's very slick, very, you know, sort of they n- nicely shot, their, good CGI, reconstructions, reenactments, yes, with the costumes and everything. Um, but yes, the whole thing just seemed a little bit tepid. Things are either uh, inconclusive or interesting but not in any way uh, going to um, upend all of history as we know it um, and then yes then the last one was just a little bit a little bit weird yes and the thing was I was kind of hoping for old style America unearthed which is chock-a-block with conspiracies pseudo history alternative takes on the prehistory of north america and what we got this time was basically half and half of maybe vikings and phoenicians got here or maybe they didn't and here are some unanswered questions about american history wouldn't it be fascinating to go on a field trip and throw some bombs around to see whether we can work out the answers and that stuff was particularly tepid because The show starts off telling us history we've taught has been wrong. There are pyramids, artifacts, inscriptions. And half the storylines isn't about the history that we've been told is wrong. It's It's there are some questions about history Mm. which we're not sure about. Let's investigate it. So the promise of the show is not fulfilled by the show itself. So I understand we're now going to have to have a sequel to this episode where you furnish me with episodes from previous seasons. We and are. see what I think yes. of those. So that'll be coming up later, once I've recovered. Well, I mean, given that there is, given there are at least 30 more episodes mm. for you to watch, I imagine we'll be doing that in about 30 weeks. Indeed. So I think we've come to the end of the episode. Um which means we are now going to stop recording and then start recording again some bonus patron content for our patron bonus bonus patrons. The bonus bonus patrons, patrons bonus. Mm. Uh, if you would like to become one of our patrons, that would be just super and peachy keen. Um, and you can do so at patreon.com or at conspiracism.podbean.com. Um, or, you could, or you could just not and just continue listening to these main episodes and that's fine as well. It is fine. I mean, it does make you inferior compared to our patrons, but Mm. our patrons are truly superior human Mm. beings Mm. and also alien shape-shifting reptiles and two sentient dogs from Alpha Centauri, but we shouldn't get into that. The less said, the better. Yes, yes. Um, So, uh, to our non-patron listeners, we'll see you next week. To our patron listeners, we'll see you in a minute assuming that you then you, you stop listening to this episode and immediately do the bonus episode, which you might, I don't know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not your mum. You listen to things whenever you want. I but mean, we'll you, see may, you, the you anyway. actually have may already listened to the yeah, bonus episode. Yeah, you could be episode. some sort of weird, weird, sick-in-the-head lunatic who likes to listen to the bonus content and then the main episode. But you do, you. Mm, yep, it's a free world. It is. Um, so, until... Unfortunately. Yeah, we're, what, one day. One yes, day one we'll day, do something about One day. That. Uh, but until that day, we will say to you goodbye and, oh, nice little cork noise there. Tune in next time. Well, I'll be the daddy.
You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. M. R. X. Dented, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Monkey Fluids and Conspiracism. Remember, Soylent Green is Meeples. What the hell am I caught on? There we go. Cabling! Ah, oh, the cabling. It's like <coughs> Boom Cat's The Reckoning. Okay, my saw, I kicked some ass, and then I tripped over the cables, and everything went everywhere, and it was embarrassing, and then we became the theme tune to Bird of Prey, yeah. or Birds of Prey, one of the early DC attempts to I do a TV series. I actually never watched it. No, it was... It was kind of... There was Gail Simone was writing that? I don't know. I think she was, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Ooh, nice little cork noise there.